Hello, this is Pat Sheridan. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And what a special time of the year it is as we record this live on Clubhouse Conversation. It's Davo, and I'm glad you're along. October 2015, the ALDS going on. Lots of memories come back of October's past, including last year for the Royals and even going back to special years like 1985. And we are lucky enough today on Clubhouse Conversation to be joined by a member of that 1985 World Series winning Royals. Pat Sheridan joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. Pat originally came up through the Royal system, too, after being selected in the third round out of Eastern Michigan in 1979. Made it up to KC quickly, too, September of 81, and then stuck in KC from 83 until 85. A left-handed hitting outfielder. Sheridan cranked two big home runs, by the way, for the Royals during the 85 ALCS against Toronto. Will we see history repeating in 2015 with the Royals in Toronto and the ALCS? We shall see. But back then, two big home runs. The Royals came from behind 3-1. to one. Same thing in the World Series. And that's the rest of the story, as the late, great Paul Harvey said. And Sheridan went on to appear in two more World Series, by the way, with Detroit in 1987, his hometown team. And then during 1989, that earthquake, uh, you know, tragic World Series with the Giants and the A's that year. He was with the Giants in 89. We'll talk about all that. Pat playing with the Yankees. Pat coming up with the Royals. Everything in between as he joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. First of all, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And how's everything going with you? Oh, not too bad. Uh, you know, I, getting prepared for the winters here in Michigan, which um, I guess because I'm so deep-rooted here, I can't get out of here. But uh, it seems like the summers, you know, start late and, and end early. And like a lot of the the states in the Midwest and the Mideast here, we, we kind of suffer through the, the winter months to get a couple of months of enjoyment. Yeah, so, yeah. What What's keeping you busy up in Michigan in 2015? Uh, well, I still work. I am. Uh, I'm in the property insurance business, which I've been doing for oh god, about 25 years, I guess. I, I retired from baseball in uh, 1991 was my last season, so I've been doing that. I started actually marketing while I was playing. Um, the late uh, great Hall of Fame broadcaster Ernie Howell. He was a spokesperson for Citizens Insurance and. Guy that signed me with the Royals, Jerry Stevens, owned uh, an insurance agency. So um, I approached Ernie Harwell to see if I could get licensed with the company he was representing, and it, it seemed to be a, a nice little marriage that I brought over to the agency that didn't have a citizen's license. So I've been doing that um, for since actually 90, 91. So I guess that's 24 years. But you know, nothing really compares to baseball after you get out of it, but it is paying the bills and getting my kids through college, so that I guess that's a good thing. Absolutely. Loved Ernie Harwell, by the way. What a you know great broadcaster and great man. And, you know, speaking of baseball then and speaking of it being kind of cool and getting dark earlier and, you know, it's 2015, the playoffs are here. The Royals are back in for the second year in a row. I'm sure some memories coming back for you. I mean, how exciting is it for you to see the Royals back in, you know, the top of the league again? You know, it's, it's very exciting. Last year... Um, obviously, they got the. I think the one turning point they had when they. I, I didn't see the game, but I heard about they came back and beat Oakland. I think, and I don't know if that was a wild card game yep. or. Yep. Or mm-hmm. what, and that they kind of just pulled it from there, and they've been probably the best team in the American League. I I was fortunate enough to go to uh, fantasy camp with the Royals, and there was a lot of buzz about the team before the season started, and then I just was in Kansas City for a 30-year reunion with the, the, the Historical Society of Baseball there, and there's a lot of talk about you know comparisons and all that, which I don't know if you can ever compare teams 30 years apart, but certainly they look like they're having fun. They, they are uh, on a mission, and I think sometimes, you know, in 84, we, we got beat by the Royals in the playoffs and came back in 85 to win. Last year, they actually got a chance and went right down to the wire to win the world championship. But 
they came up a little short. So hopefully uh, they can they can finish it this year. And I'm glad to see that there's some excitement back in Kansas City. And I know there's a long drought there, and that's it's never any fun. But they certainly have a, a pretty exciting team. Yeah, made up for it the last two you know seasons definitely. Well, well, we'll come back and talk about the Royals here in a bit, but I also want to go way back and and learn about you from the start. So let's go back to Wayne Memorial High School then, Wayne, Michigan. Uh, you know your dad Arthur before that though. Let's talk about him. He was a minor league pitcher from '52 to '56 with the Brooklyn Dodgers organization. So I mean, how much of a role did he play in your development as a baseball player as you grew up? A big role. I mean, my dad was always available to me when. The- my dad passed away in 98, I believe it was, and uh, all through, you know, junior high, high school, he was there as far as any time I wanted to do anything with instruction or playing catch, and I, I know now as a, a 50, you know, 50, I'm 57 now, if, if somebody wanted to play catch with me and break off some curveballs and throw, you know, high 80s, low 90s to me, I don't think I'd want to do it. My dad, he put a cigar in his mouth, he'd get in the crouch position, and he'd sit there all day long and let me pitch to him and never flinched. I mean, certainly even as a, a middle-aged to um, actually senior man, he, he still had pretty good reflexes, and he was, was such a mentor for me. He, he never really, you know, told me what to do. He let me do everything myself. I was fortunate enough to be athletically uh, you know, talented in football and basketball and played all three sports including baseball in, in junior high and high school. And honestly, baseball is probably my least favorite sport because it seemed to be the most boring. <laughs> and I loved football and probably just a little too small at 6'3", forward, and um, to play basketball in a Division One was probably out of the question. But my dad was um, uh, a baseball coach at Henry Ford Community College. He was a basketball coach there, and he was also a golf coach. And so I got a chance to hang around a lot of good players as I was growing up, which kept me interested. And um, my dad was great. He came to all my games, but he just, you know, I don't think he was a typical parent because he was a coach. He, he wasn't yelling at uh, the other kids or the other parents while we were playing, and I think the game is changed a little bit as, as youngsters with parents in the stands. It, it's, there's a lot of stress and pressure on them, and my dad was always there just to support me, and and if a coach on, on one of the younger teams wanted his advice, he was always willing to give it to him. That's awesome. Well, and like we said, so Wayne Memorial High School then. So you graduated in 76, and the Reds actually took you in the 36th round that year, but you decided to go to Ypsilanti there and attend Eastern Michigan University. So, I mean, was that a pretty easy choice to bypass the offer for college? Uh, you know, that was, I was influenced by my, my parents. They thought that education, because of the, the low percentage to make it to the pros, um, it was better to get an education. But I did get drafted by the Reds, and I went to – they had a like a tryout camp that you had to go to, and I believe I sat for about two or three hours waiting to get a chance to go up and hit. And then right off the, the bleachers going to hit, and guys were out there throwing and trying to get you out. And I don't think I fared uh, as well as my talent was just from the circumstances. But when you get drafted that, that low, I don't think there's a lot of priority as far as moving you up the ladder as fast. So I thought going to Eastern Michigan, which was a good baseball school in the – mid to late 70s um, would probably be just as instrumental to me as far as maturing in baseball. And in Ron Ostrich, the, the coach there, was a, a good baseball man. So I think it did turn out to be a good move because I went up uh, probably 30-some places as far as being drafted. And, uh, and I didn't really know much about the Royals when I got drafted. And it was a little bittersweet because it was my junior year. But... Um, I ended up signing and working my way through, but um, I, I loved Eastern Michigan also. It was a great baseball school. Yeah, and you hit over 300 all three years you were there. Sporting News, All-America's second team as a junior. Went into the uh, Hall of Fame, obviously, there in later years as well. Like you mentioned then, so the Royals take you in the 79 draft. It's third round. You mentioned his name earlier, Jerry Stevens, as well. Like When you think back to the draft, were, do you remember when Stevens first saw you or when the Royals first discovered you, and, and did you kind of expect them to be the one that would take you? Uh, I, I wasn't. Um, you know, I think as somebody that's in the Detroit area, you always hope the Tigers will draft you. But um, 
I think um, Bill Shedlick, who was a, a scout for the for the Tigers, he recommended me going to Eastern Michigan because I had I, I thought I was going to go to Oklahoma to play college baseball, but I um, I think he got a hold of Ostrike and when it was between my junior and senior year in high school, and they came and watched me, and then they offered me a scholarship, so I was glad to stay local. So, you know. I wanted to stay here, but I also knew Eastern was a good baseball school. They had gone to the College World Series a couple times before I got there, and they were a nationally known baseball program. But I also wanted my dad to get a chance to see me play as much as I could, too, because um, he was still working, and certainly it was um, a good move, I think, for me. And I had a lot of fun at Eastern. I got a chance to play with Bob Welch there, and uh, there was quite a few guys, John Martin, Ted Dance. Jason, um, Glenn Gulliver, they all ended up getting a chance to play in, in professional baseball. So it, it was a good learning experience for me there. Absolutely. And then, you, like I said, you signed with the Royals then. So 1979, you finished at Fort Myers in the Florida State League that first year. You got in 67 games. So, you know, a kid from Michigan going down to Fort Myers that first summer in pro ball, what do you remember about that? Well, you know what? Going from college, the uh, the first guy I saw when I, when I got to Fort Myers was Buddy Biancolana, and he was sit out in front, and he had signed out of high school. So um, I thought he was a bad boy. Honestly, <laughs> it was. Uh, I I went in there and and thinking, my God, I just came from a major college where I think the guys were older than these guys. So it, I think the biggest thing was is playing every day, but then using wooden bats and. You know, just getting into the routine of being prepared to play every day. I know Fort Myers, I loved it there. Um, it was a little warm and muggy, you know, in in July and August, but it certainly was a good league. And uh, what I did find, you know, later on that the minor leagues, the first time around, you, you really enjoy them. If you get sent back down or have to go down for rehab, they're not quite as fun. Right, right, right. Well, 1980 was a fun year, so you hit 405 starting that year in Fort Myers in 79 ABs. Then the Royals move you up to Jacksonville. Uh, you were fifth in the Southern League, too, at a 305 average. So, you know, I used to live in Jacksonville, too. So playing in Jacksonville, Florida for the Suns, what do you remember about those days? Well, you know, that's a tough league to play in because of the travel. Um you had long bus rides. I know it seemed like it rained a lot in the right around game time. You're from Jacksonville? Yeah, I lived out there for a few years doing radio out there, so I used to go to games okay. out there. Yeah, so it's it's very muggy there. It's hot. Um, I, I you're right. I did hit 405, but I think that was in just a month period of time. It was um, before I got moved up. But I, Gene Lamont was our manager, and. I loved playing for him. He was certainly a player's manager. He was always there to pitch BP for you. And as a, an old catcher, he threw the ball straight down the plate every time. He wasn't throwing a sinker or little cutters or anything there. Like later on at some of these guys, like Ray Herbert, when I was in the major leagues, he was one of our BP hit pitchers. And he'd throw a little slider. I think he got enjoyment of trying to get us out when we were trying to take BP. But Gene Lamont was a great manager. Um, I, what I m- remember most about Jayville was, Honestly, it was the the conditions of traveling was so long and hard. But you know, that's again, when you're young, you can put up with that stuff, I guess. And um, I was fortunate that I moved up the ladder pretty regularly with the with the Royals organization. And um, Jacksonville and Fort Myers were both good places for me to play. And I think, that as far as average wise, I I probably hit the highest there. Yeah, you did well there. And then 81 then. So you'd make your big league debut. Before we talk about that, um, Omaha. So you have a 14-game hitting streak there uh, to start the year. But then, so I, tell me if this is true. I read that you got injured and missed a month from falling down the stairs. Is that is that a true story? Well, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, <laughs> I think they put that in, uh, in the, the media guide. But um, I think that's what the trainer said I did. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, so the, so you came back after that then. You had another 12-game hitting streak, uh, 365 on base. Then the Royals call you up for the final month of that 81 season then. So that first call to the big leagues then. So take us back to that moment. Where are you at? You know, Who gave you the news about that? What was that moment like when you first got that call up? You know, I think that was the, uh, the September call-ups. Uh, a few of us got called up to the, to the major leagues. And, you know, I didn't get – 
I, I think I got one at bat, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep, three games, one at bat, yep. Yeah, and then I think it was against Oakland. I'm not even sure. But um, I, I don't even remember what I did. I don't know if I struck out or threw, flew out the left field or something. Struck but, out against Albert Williams. Okay, well, um, so I don't really remember a lot. I haven't gone back into the memory bank of, of my first days in the big leagues, honestly, but uh, it, it was an experience just to be up there and, and see some big league games from a, from a good vantage point. But uh, I was fortunate enough that after I got called up, they went to uh, Japan and they, they brought me with them, and that was a nice experience too. So um, it was just getting your feet wet. You know, I had I'd been to, you know, big league spring training and, and you kind of get a little taste of, how it is, even though it's it's not really, you know, the game situation because a lot of veteran players are playing a few innings and then they're letting some of the younger prospects play. But um, anytime you can get into a big league game, I think it, it's some experience you can start building on. But certainly one one at bats not going to make or break you. But it was certainly a, a a big thrill for me at a young age to get called up. Who were some of the guys then, you know, that kind of took you under their wing when you first came up there, you know, in the early days? Who were some of the players and teammates you really hit it off with? Uh, when I first got to the big leagues um, in in 83 to stay, I, believe it or not, George Brett uh, reached out to me and, and offered me to, to stay with him for a while while I was looking for a place, which, you know, when you have your, your suitcase in the, in the clubhouse and – you know, George Brett comes up and says, "You know, you can stay with me till you find an apartment." That's it's it's pretty exciting in itself. So I really, I don't even know if I looked very hard for an apartment after he invited me over because <laughs> it's certainly hanging around with him was a nice experience on and off the field too. So um, he reached out. You know, I, I think the whole organization, as far as trying to make things an easy transaction for you or transition for you. You know, they, they're all reaching out, guiding in areas to look for a place to live. And certainly, you know, the, the living and travel conditions there are so much nicer than in the minor leagues because you're flying everywhere and you're staying at nice hotels and you usually get your own room. And there was a lot of variables that, you know, I think make the game a little easier to play on an everyday basis too, just the, the conditions of your travel and, and your living conditions. So, um but what I remember the most was, you know, you know, Amos Otis was great to me. Uh, Hal McRae, these are guys that I, I played a lot of cards with in spring training and got to know them a little bit, you know, other than, you know, being on the team with them, but just in spring training. And it was, um, it was just back then the chemistry levels that we had, everybody got along with everybody. You never felt uncomfortable when you came to the ballpark with anybody on the team. It's like, any day going in the lobby with who's ever there going to eat breakfast or lunch, you could go with them. And we were almost all like buddies. And I think it kind of showed in the way we played. Well, so the next year, so 1982 then to take a step back. So you get injured that year. So that's frustrating, obviously. Then you start off in 83 in Omaha. You hit 307 in 20 games. And like we said, you get the call pretty much for good at that point. Before we talk about the rest of the big league career then. So, you know, playing in Omaha and at Rosenblatt Stadium, what sticks out about those days? Uh, you know, the College World Series was played there, so um, it, it was well-known stadium. I think there was a couple difficult times when they, when they were having the College World Series. We'd be on a long road trip, which is never fun for any, no matter what team you're on. You don't like to go on a 14-, 18-day uh, road trip. But, you know, the fan support there was great. Um, you know, Warren Buffett's from there, so there was some, some history for Omaha, because I had never been to Omaha before. But... Um, Joe Sparks was our manager. Uh, that's where, you know, Daryl Motley and I kind of went up through this, the system together and uh, kind of were connected our whole careers as far as even with the Royals. We got mostly platooned once we got to the big leagues, but we were everyday players as we were playing through the minor leagues. And Buddy Biancolana and, you know, everybody that went through that organization, obviously Omaha's, uh, you know, the best, the next best thing to playing in the big leagues because – the city was good. The support was there, and uh, it was actually not a bad place to play as far as weather conditions either. 
Well, then, so Jerry Martin gets injured in 83, and you play all three outfield positions, mainly right. Uh, you, you know, going back into the cobwebs here, dusting them off, I bet you remember this one. Your first uh, big league hit, the home run off Milt Wilcox, May 15th, that ties the game and sends the game to extras. I'm assuming you remember that one pretty well? I, you know what? I do remember that because that was my first hit in the big leagues. Um, and, you know, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I remember – going out into the outfield and it seemed like everybody in the stadium had a white t-shirt on and I'm like how the heck do you ever see a, go- a ball come out here on with these conditions because <laughs> I wasn't used to that but um, I think I had seven or eight put outs that day and that kind of shakes some of the nerves off of you but um, I remember Milt and I don't know if it was my second or third time up when um, I got the hit but after that there was a little bit of a standing ovation for me I'm thinking now uh, this is pretty cool doing this but in the off season i saw milt at the racetrack because he owned some race horses and i got involved in them and i went up and introduced myself to him and told him you know my name and i told him i got my first big league hit off him which was a home run and he just said well congratulations i do that for a lot of people so he was <laughs> he was pretty funny about it and he uh ended up being a good friend of mine he was with uh, detroit at the time but he stuck around here and there was a lot of alumni charity events that we did and I got to know him pretty well and he was he was a great guy and um but that's you know anytime you're your first hit whether it's a single a double triple or a home run you're going to remember that one in the big leagues did you get that ball back by the way I did somebody gave it to me and uh it was on a plaque um and they wrote on it the date and that it was a home run off Milt Wilcox and they gave it to me it wasn't that day but somewhere down in the season I think one of the clubhouse guys brought it over to me and told me it was uh, the game ball that I hit out, which I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah. Well, two questions about the next year then. So, 84, you play every day between center and right. So, you're hitting 283, eight home runs, 53 RBIs. You swiped 19 bags at the All Star break, too. You were sixth in the league, hitting 329 at the All Star break that year in 84. Before we talk about the playoffs that year, though, my question is your first big league grand slam off a knuckleballer, Charlie Huff. Do you remember that one? I do. I, um, I I remember one thing about it that I think the the pitch before that they threw he threw a fastball right down the middle and I took it <laughs> and I looked over in the bench and everybody was, had their hands on their head and then the next one he floated the knuckleball in there and I hit a grand slam. So uh, you know knuckleball guys, there I think they can put you in a slump. I think there is a, a little bit of a a way of hitting the knuckleballer with trying to maybe spread your stance out a little bit and not try to crush the ball, but it just happened to be that um, he threw on right where I was swinging and they ended up getting a grand slam off it, which probably, um, for me, I I didn't hit that many home runs. I'm probably 45 or 50 in my big league career, but, you know, anytime you can get a home run with bases loaded, you know, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah, and you guys snuck into the playoffs that year as well, but then you get swept by Detroit. So that 84 ALCS, you know, what do you think of when you think back to that? Well, I, what I remember most was, um, you know, the infield hit that they beat us at in Detroit and then uh, um, going outside of the stadium, the, the almost riot conditions with the, the fans rocking the bus and the, just the, the happiness that, Detroit was having, and I obviously being from this area had seen that in in '68. Also, that you know the fans get so excited they kind of get sometimes disruptive too. But you know Detroit had a great team. They they had that magical start where they went like 35 and five, 35 and four, and and they just held on to that lead all year. And it was their year. Um, they they beat us, and then they went on to beat the Padres to to win the World Championship. And being from this area, I was kind of hoping that if we were going to repeat is getting in the playoffs that we'd get another chance against them. But they they did not uh, show up the next year, and Toronto did. So, you know, baseball is a funny thing. Uh, even when you think you have a great team, it doesn't mean you're going to get to the playoffs. And obviously Detroit had a long spell there, too, where they didn't do much, and just like the Royals are doing now. But, you know, it's it's all about the day and what's happening. Yeah, well, next year, a lot of good things happened in 85. Uh, frustrating for you early that year. I mean, you lost 44 games to a, to a hamstring injury that year, but you had some great individual moments too. So May 12th, 
uh, the Yankees are in town. You hit two home runs off of Phil Necro, and you guys you know, go to a 6-5 win. Also, one of those two home runs was an inside-the-park home run. Does that ring a bell? Well, if that's true, then I'm going to believe you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't remember an inside-the-park home run, which seems like I should because I, if I had any, it must have only been that one. <laughs> but uh, I honestly don't remember that. Um, I, uh, I'd have to get it back in to try to refresh my memory. And it's, and David, honestly, when you start going back so many times and then you pinpoint a date right. in, in the games, there's a lot of moments that you do remember. There's quite a few that you just have to take the word that, okay, that's true. But, um, <laughs> you, so, you gotta love I don't, media I don't remember hitting two home runs in, I did in Baltimore one time, I think when I was with Detroit, but, um, I don't remember hitting two home runs when I was with Kansas City, so you'd have to um, pull that up, and if that's what it says, then I'm going to believe you. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with the media guide <laughs> on that one then. Uh, now, <laughs> some home runs I'm sure you do remember, the 85 ALCS against Toronto. So two home runs in that series. You had the game-tying pinch hit home run in Game 2, and then one, of course, in, in Game 7. So the ALCS, you know, I also people talk about that. People always talk about the World Series, but nobody ever talks about the ALCS too much. So uh, when you think back to that Toronto series, I know you guys came from behind, you know, what do you think back to it that year in that series? Well, you know, obviously we dug ourselves a hole early, which is never any fun. But I think looking back, it's more gratifying when you can come back from three games to one. But um, personally, I remember uh, Hinky was the the relief pitcher, and I was pinch hitting. And if he would have thrown me a fastball, he would have struck me out. But I think he blew two fastballs right by me, and then he threw me a changeup, and I ended up hitting the the, 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 the tying home run, but it, it ended up to no good because they ended up beating us um, after that game. That was game two, wasn't it? Yep, game two. Yep, and then game seven was the other that one. That was game two, and I, I remember coming around the bases, and that and 85 was, you know, a trying year for me because I was hurt a lot, and then I started back into playing, and I didn't really play very well, and I did get a chance in the in the, in the the playoffs to get some, some moments that I, I think we all kind of dream about as far as you know, being in the, the spotlight and, and coming through. But I remember after hitting that, I, Avron Fogelman, the co-owner, was right by the dugout, and I went over there and high-fived him. And, I, you know, we were hopeful to win that, but we didn't. Um, I remember game seven, Dave Steve was pitching for them, and I played with him in Alaska when I was in the Alaska League with Kenai, uh, the Kenai Peninsula Oilers, and he was actually an outfielder there. And I still remember him um throwing for some scouts there and then he got drafted by Toronto and I believe he just went right into pitching but I I knew he had you know that great curveball and was a competitor and he just happened to hang one to me and I don't think he was too happy because I the wind was blowing out to right center and that's where I hit it and it just barely got out but it, it did get out and then um I think Sunberg hit the triple with bases loaded which kind of you know put the game out of reach for us but you know, we're thankful that the game it went from best of five to best of seven because that was our best friend. You know, yeah. we we would have been done because that's the year they went to a best of seven in the in the playoffs instead of just the World Series. Well, then after Toronto, then comes St. Louis, and then once again, you guys get down three to one. You come back and win in seven. I mean, do you feel like the experience of that ALCS being down three one did that kind of help you guys? I mean, did did that help? Is I guess is what I'm asking as far as you know doing it again with St. Louis. That experience. I, I don't think the experience of being down three games to one helps anybody. I think that's just unfortunate when you get down, and then you hate to play the odds all the time being down that many with um, only the other team having to win one, but it, you find out that that last game is probably the hardest one to win. So I think that it was just our time. You know, we we beat both of those teams after digging a hole for ourselves, but I think what, you know, not experience, but just the demeanor of our team was never to give up until it was over, and the Calder instilled that in us. We came to play every day, and the results were going to be what it was. But when you're down 3-1, to one, you lose or go home, and we just, when we went home, we were champs. Yeah, for sure. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, the controversial Don Dinkinger call, so that happened right after they pinch hit for you that game. So game six, when you think back to that, and then game seven, you know, what sticks out about those two nights? 
Well, I'm going to take a little bit of credit because they, they pinch it for for me, but then they pinch it for Mott, and then Dane Org is the one. Isn't that, didn't he get the game-winning hit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess if I wasn't up there, then maybe Dane would have never gotten the game. I don't know. So <laughs> I'm going to take a little credit for that. But the, the call that, that Dinkinger made, you know, the umpires are so good, and, and sometimes they rarely – Miss the really close ones. I don't know what happened there. Um, they were a little playful with him at the reunion we had at, in Kansas City the last month about the call. But, um, I mean, I even kind of gave him a few jabs about, you know, he makes one bad call and he's more popular than I am. So <laughs> it's just one of those things where, you know, he's, you know, these umpires see it and they call it like it is. And I think we were fortunate to have. A break, but nobody really looks at, you know, they, they missed the call on Frank White when he was stealing. It's, um, I got a base hit. After he was called out, he would have scored, so that might have evened it out. They didn't. They don't say much about Jack Clark missing the little pop-up, and then Balboni hits the double. So looking back, maybe, you know, Don Dickinson maybe just took some of the pressure off Jack Clark because, mm-hmm. you know, Buckner's getting all that. You know how good a player he was, but all they remember is when they hit the ball between his legs and and they lose. But I don't think they ever bring up Jack Clark. And then going into Game Seven, Dinkinger was behind the plate, and you know there was a lot of fireworks with uh, Andahar, and you know Tudor was having a bad day. But you know it, it just was meant for us. I, I think that everything lined up where it was the Royals' time to win. We had a great team. We out-hit them. We out-we scored more runs than them. We out-pitched them. I don't know how we got down three games to one, but I think in the end, for that series, I know they had a hundred wins that year, but during that that series, I think we played better than them. Well, you went into that winter then, you know, I'm sure believing you'd be back that next year and probably with the Royals for quite a long time. But then, of course, spring of 86, you know, you guys parted ways on March 28th. What do you remember about that? How difficult was that saying bye to the Royals? Well, you know what? There was those issues of collusion and salaries and stuff, and I, I think that there was a few of us that, you know, got released and, and it was time for us to go somewhere else. But, you know, I loved it there. I, I came out through that organization I got along with everybody. I, I thought the the team was great as far as the, the, the players to each other. And, you know, it, when you look back, you never know what the reasons are for, you know, you, you hate to not come back to defend your championship. But um, I think my mom put a curse on the team for a while because she kept telling me she they weren't going to win again. And I started believing her after 28 <laughs> years that they weren't. But uh, I, I think sometimes... You know, it opened up another uh, door for me to come and get a chance to play with the Tigers, which was always a, a childhood dream. And like most kids in this area, we played in the streets and imitated players that you know were on the Tigers back in the 60s. And so it gave me a chance to come and play at home. And, you know, we got in the playoffs here too. So, I, it, you know, I had no hard feelings. Um, I did go back there spring training in 91 I think it was and they wanted me to start out in triple a and see what happened and I just at that moment I I just didn't want to do it so I ended up going home and then the Yankees ended up signing me and I was fortunate enough to play most of the year with them yeah well in Detroit too like you you know so 86 you're part-time 87 uh pretty much every single day and another big home run in the playoffs so game winning two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth in Game Three with Detroit there in '87, you know what was that like, and, and, and that team and that you know playoff. Well, you know that just prolonged our agony too because you know most of the year I think we beat up on Minnesota and they they had a good team, but you know I I hit a home run off Jeff Reardon. I that ended up winning that game. It was a two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth, and then we they just finished this off the next couple games, but. I think um, anytime you hit a home run in a playoff game, it's, there's a lot of excitement. But if you get to do it in your hometown, there was, they they delayed the game for a while because there was um, these little banners or cards that they had passed out, and they were throwing them on the fields, and so they delayed the game, you know, seven to ten minutes. So 
that was a big thrill for me. But ultimately, you know, the prize is at the end when you can get to the World Series and win that. So none of the other stuff really means a whole lot. I mean, it's something to reflect back on. And I think even at times as we get away from the game, we sound like we were better than what we were. But I uh, I remember Sparky Anderson saying something to me because the next I think it was Frank Viola pitching. And I was sitting in a corner of the dugout, and they started chanting for me because I hit the home run the night before. And they were saying, we want Sheridan, we want Sheridan. And then Sparky comes walking down to me, and he said, Pat, why don't you go ahead and take the take a shower? And I looked up, and he goes, because apparently the fans watch more than I do. And <laughs> it just kind of was that little moment of how Sparky always tries to keep everybody relaxed and I thought I thought it was actually kind of funny at, at the time but I'm not sure if he was serious he might have been serious who knows but but you know the Detroit was fun you know it was an organization that you know like the Royals uh, I, I think they're you know a good organization and obviously Kansas City's a small market and they, they have a a different way of building their team with speed and defense, and certainly the pitching's been great there. And Detroit had, you know, good pitching, and they had some power hitters, but they never really built their team around speed and defense as much. But, you know, I was fortunate to, to be on teams because being at the right place at the right time is important. I, I did an autograph thing with Ernie Banks after uh, the 85 year, and, Look how many years he played and never got a chance. So you got to be fortunate, too. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about two guys you played with in Detroit, a guy that played with the Royals later. You know, what was it like playing with Kirk Gibson? Oh, geez. I mean, just what you see. I mean, he was the ultimate competitor, um, fiery, you know, didn't didn't uh, hold back on anything. He'd come in and, and let you know how he felt. He, he was uh, pretty boisterous with how he felt about how we were playing and you know there was there was times where you know we weren't playing good and we had some veteran pitchers there we had Jack Morris and Petrie and Tanana and I think Jack was complaining one time about you know no run support you know you know and I think Gibby yelled at him and said well then throw a shutout then you might win a game <laughs> so it's just you know some guys are meant to be leaders and some do it just by example on the field, but some people are a little more rugged. And he certainly, you know, coming from a, a football background and how he was, he, he was well-respected and well-liked. And obviously you saw what he's done in the playoffs with and, you know, just an ultimate uh, competitor. A guy that we lost, uh, you know, too young earlier this year that lived in Kansas City, Jeff M. Robinson. Do you remember him much pitching for the Tigers? I do. Um I didn't know he was living in Kansas City. Yeah, but he, um, yeah, I played with him a couple of years. Big, tall, right-handed pitcher, and I knew that he had passed away, and I don't know what of. But uh, you know, anytime you you, you lose a, a, a fellow teammate or even anybody in life at at too young of an age, it, it seems like it's not fair. But who are we to judge, right? I, yeah. my neighbor, you bringing up passing away my neighbor's 82 years old and uh, his wife just came over last night um i was pulling into the driveway and she just said you know i got some bad news my my husband that was diagnosed with a brain tumor and i went into you know the you know the decalzer and the quisenberry and all them died at such a young age with brain cancer and you know we have to be thankful for each day i mean it's it's something that we we don't know what's going to happen to us, whether we get in an accident or our health goes bad or when we're going to go. But certainly, um, you know, when you're in your 40s, 50s, it's too young. And obviously, Jeffrey um, he must have had some illness that took him. And we all believe that he's probably in a better place. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, so 1989, you're with the Tigers, and you get traded for Tracy Jones on June 16th. Uh, were you kind of surprised by that trade, and what were your thoughts on, on that trade, you know, moving out to San Francisco? I was. Um, we just came back from um, the West Coast trip, and <clears throat> I can't remember who was pitching, but I'm sure it was a right-hander, and I think it was against Cleveland, and I was standing in the outfield, and I wasn't in the lineup. 
and it, it did cross my mind why I wasn't, but Sparky came out and put his arm around me, started walking me to the dugout, and he, he asked me, he said, you probably wonder why you're not playing. And I said, well, it's crossed my mind. He goes, well, you're not with us anymore. I traded you to the Giants. You're going to love it. Roger Craig is a great manager. They're, uh, they're a competitive team. They're probably going to get somewhere where we're not going to this year. And you know, go get them. And I'm walking to the dugout, and Tracy Jones was already there. I just was informed of it, and he was already in uniform. So <laughs> um, I had to get back on a plane, fly back out. Um, it was a, a breath of fresh air because we didn't have a very good team with the Tigers that year, and the atmosphere in San Francisco was great. Um, I was a little disappointed because my wife at that time was, was pregnant with our first child, and you know, there was just a lot going on. I just had bought a house. So you never know how timing's going to go in your careers, but um, if there was a bad timing, I think that was as far as me, you know, on a personal level. But, you know, for baseball-wise, you know, I got to be another historic World Series with the earthquake and everything out there. And it, it was fun to see the National League. Uh, the game was pretty fast. I think um, San Francisco is a great, great city. I enjoyed playing out there, and the reunions um, that, that I've gone to uh, have been fun. So, you know, I guess it was a good trade in, in its way, although I, I hated living, leaving Detroit because I loved playing there. Yeah, so, you I mean, you some good moments happened. A triple in the NLCS against the Cubs, a couple of bats in the World Series. You guys unfortunately lost that, of course. But you mentioned the earthquake, and I watched, I think it was a 30 for 30 on that last year, and, you know, it's pretty – Pretty powerful stuff looking back and watching that. You, you don't realize, you know, there's a real life involved there. And from the outside, you know, maybe you don't notice that, you know, unless you're there like you are. So what was that night like? Like, what do you remember about that day and that experience? It was right before the game started. Um, you know, there was a little bit of I – was, I was actually going to play in that game, and I was running in the, in the outfield, and it, you felt a little off balance, and then the lights went out, and, you know, lights – poles were swaying a little bit the fans started singing we will rock you i don't think they knew the extent of of the damage with um, the double bridge and all that but you know it, it was something that it wasn't real scary on the field but my uh, my daughter was born she was only a few months old and they were in the clarion hotel which i think was one of the more modern hotels out there that was built with the the rollers so it would give and uh, the un the unknown when you're going to, to I, she was with her grandma at the time to, to make sure they're okay and you don't have any communication to, to talk to them. It, it's kind of, it's, it's an uneasiness there. And certainly the game, the World Series game was postponed for a week and a half or so. And we did go down to see the site, which uh, we went to the Fisherman's Wharf, we went to saw the bridge and, you know, Baseball is really secondary when it comes to that. In fact, there was a, a reporter that came up to me after we started practicing again, and he said, do you think you you should just be named co-champs? And my response was, well, we're down two games to none. I guess, you know, co-champs might not even be fair to say, but, you know, Baseball is not as important as what's happening here. And the next day in the newspaper, it said Sheridan wants to call World Series off and name, be named co-champ. So <laughs> that, it, it was completely taken out of context. But Al Rosen didn't take too kindly to it because he came down and said, he kind of laid into me a little bit and was saying that, you know, how hard it is to get here and don't you ever want to call this off. And I said, Al, they, they took that completely out of context. I just agreed that it was – wouldn't probably be fair if we were co-champs because we were down two games to none. So when we had our last reunion, uh, this is a 20-year reunion, I guess, or yeah, the 20-year reunion, and we went back, and Al was there and still feisty as all could be, and I put my arm around him. I said, Al, how's, uh, how's co-champs on now? <laughs> and he didn't like it then either. So <laughs> It's really, uh, you know, you never know. Um with things that are said, but sometimes things come out, you know, obviously in the paper that might be taken differently than how they were meant to be. One other question about that earthquake. Did, did it take you, like, hours and hours to get back to your home? You mentioned the Clarion or whatever. I remember in that documentary, it was taking guys, like, five hours to get back to their families. Is that how it was for you, too? 
it, it took quite some time because the, the congestion and the parking lot and the cars just not moving anywhere and you know it was it was dark you know there was no electricity we were in the actually in the clubhouse it was just pitch black in there and i wanted to get out of there because my family wasn't there and it took some time i don't remember it being four or five hours but it it was probably a good two hours yeah. and you know the uneasiness of you know something tragic like that because we started getting reports filtered into us and what had happened and your mind just goes crazy when you don't have your loved ones with you. Yeah, totally. Well, the next year, then 1990, you mentioned it earlier, spring training with the Royals. Then they, you know, want you to go to Omaha. That, you know, that doesn't happen. Then you, I'm assuming you must have been injured for most of that 90 season. So you played with 23 games with Iowa, hit 329. Were you banged up that year? No, I actually wasn't. I actually 91 was the year when I went back to the Royals and then ended up with the Yankees. But in 90, um. I didn't know what happened in 1990. Um, but I did go to the Iowa Cubs, and Jim Eshin was our manager there. And after, um, you know, however long it was, and I was playing well, but um, I didn't sense that I wanted to stay in the minor leagues for the whole season. And we were going on a road trip, I think, somewhere in New York. And I just told Jim, I said, you know, I think I've had enough. I'm, I'm going to go home. And he said, I don't blame you. So I, I went home. I wasn't hurt. I just took that summer off, and then, uh, then I, I went to the Royals spring training in '91, and then I ended up with the Yankees. Yeah. So the Yankees. And I think that was just. I think you just. Sometimes you just feel it's just not right. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get a chance with the Cubs. I know. Uh, I think Dick Balderson, who was with the Royals when I was there, was with the, the Cubs organization back then, and there was really no communication. Um, I didn't know anybody at the big league level. Um, we had a nice AAA team in, in Iowa, but I just at that point in my life, I think I was ready to get home and be with my family. If um, I, I wasn't one of the guys that wanted to spend the rest of my life in baseball, especially in the minor leagues, and so he he let me go. He said, "You can go home if you want," and so I did. They didn't release me. I think I was still under contract with them, but I. I didn't get paid anymore. I just said I was going to go home and, and see what happens next year. Well, and then I guess one more question about your playing days would be New York. You know, any, any good memories playing there with the Yankees? You know, we had a tough year. That was the year Steinbrenner was suspended. Um, Stump Merrill was our manager. We had uh, Buck Walter was a good baseball guy was there. Uh, we had Frank Howard. Mike Ferraro was there. Um, but we had... We had a team that was a lot of older veterans, I think, that we just didn't have good chemistry at that time. Um, you know, we had Jesse Barfield was there, Mel Hall, Roberto Kelly, Steve Sachs. Uh, we had Don Maddenly. Um, we had some older pitchers like Tim Leary and Steve Howell. Matt Notes was one of our catchers. With, uh, we, we just didn't have – almost felt like it was piecemealed together, and we just didn't do well that year. So it wasn't a lot of fun for me. I know we, as a visiting team coming to New York, you, you're glad you're only there three or four days. Um, New York's probably a great place to play when you're playing well, but when you're not playing too good there, sometimes you don't know if you're at home or away because it's pretty bad. <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it wasn't the most fun year for me. Um, so I just retired after that year was over. Yeah, that was it. Well, I guess last three questions for you are coming back to uh, your Royals days then. So your favorite memories you know, of playing as a Royal, when you think back to just on the field, do you have a favorite moment in particular, I'm assuming the World Series? I, I think once you know, we all ran onto the field, you, you kind of are starting to walk in life that you really don't know for sure at that time, but you're, you're bound together with these guys forever because you're a champion and – you know, that's the goal that's set out as a team. You know, individually there's going to be guys that have good years and bad years, but I, I really, truly believe that team, everybody contributed at some point that helped us get to the World Series and also win. And you see that when we meet together. I mean, twice I was fortunate this year, once in January and just a, a month ago, to, to, to get back with most of these guys. And it, other than the way we looked, uh, Everybody's the same. I mean, it, it's such a joy to see these guys. It's like yesterday. 30 years is a long time, but it seems like yesterday. 
and when we were in this the fantasy camp, we're sitting there with our uniforms on. I swear it, you feel like you're going out to play a game, and time doesn't stop for anybody. But certainly um, that team and, and being part of it, I I feel so blessed to be, you know, a royal in those years when they had a strong team, and obviously. Um, they got a great team now, and we're all pulling for them to to see if they can finish this thing off because, you know, it has been a long time. And, you know, the fans deserve, you know, a chance to get excited again. And I, it, from what I understand, it's, it's pretty exciting there now. They get, there was a little worry, I guess, with the September play, but I think they've, they finished up strong, and hopefully um, they can continue that through the playoffs. How about Kansas City off the field? You know, where'd you live at when you were here? Do you have, do you have any favorite hot spots you hung out in? Anything stick out about Kansas City as an actual city? Uh, you know what? I love the plaza. Yeah, I, I think the the plaza area is great for for everybody. It's a it's a, a nice town. I, it, I don't know. You know, I didn't go around too much of like any other parts other than the plaza. Um, I live down State Line. Um, I can't remember what mile road it was down there but um you know kansas city is a great midwestern city um you know the bills was a restaurant down there we used to frequent um obviously the strouds uh, the barbecue places it, it's just uh i enjoyed it there i i think that you know when you aren't from a an area and then you get a chance to make that your home for a few years and to see the the support that we had when we were Ball players on and off the field. It was really uh, fun for me as a young man. Obviously, my home is here in Detroit, but I Kansas City was was a very fun time in my life, and I enjoyed every moment there. And obviously, some of us play twenty years in one city, some of us play three or four years, and then move on somewhere else. But um, Kansas City is a, a special place in my heart, and always will. And I love the guys that I played with, and feel very fortunate that I was part of that team. And the very last question I have for you then is, you know, what would you like to say to Royals fans listening in summary? Oh, just cheer that team on, you know, and, and be positive and, and support them and, and go out and uh, cheer for your team and, and be thankful because there's not that many teams that make it to the playoffs. And, and keep your fingers crossed that they can keep playing good and, and make it to the, to the end and win the World Series again because, you know, as an expansion team, I think we were the first team to win – um, a World Series, you know, we were playing against the Cardinals that probably uh, the cards were stacked against us um, as far as they had a lot of experience. The Royals had only been in the World Series once before that, but um, they're going to get they're going to get an opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of teams sitting home watching them, so as a fan, you know, be happy you're, you're where you're at and, and cheer them on. Absolutely. Well, you know, thank you for all your time tonight, first of all, and for all that you gave to the organization and all the great memories of me growing up and having your old baseball cards with the Tigers and, you know, all those good old days. It was a lot of fun watching you on Saturday afternoon baseball and all that stuff. So I have a lot of great memories, and it was nice talking to you, and uh, definitely stay in touch and go Royals. Thanks, David. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Have a great night. Take care. Okay.